Hey everybody, welcome to Real Movies. It's a podcast about documentaries. I'm Rob Carmack. I'm sitting here with John Rhodes. How's everybody out there? John, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good. I'm glad you're here because it's going to take two of us, two white Baylor graduates, <laughs> to solve the issues of inner city violence in Chicago as we discuss the 2011 film, The Interrupters. I need everybody from the ages of 13 to 24 to stand up, man. I'm going to be real honest with you all because, see... We real talking up in here, because Duke is real laying right in front of us. A man was murdered overnight on Chicago's south side. Police say it happened execution style. I'm fed up. 124 people have been killed. Each and every one of you all can be Duke right here. There are three bullet holes in this home fire. But we got a responsibility to bring up our community to be vibrant. Died last Friday, shot in the back as he tried to shoot. My brothers. Cease the fire, call the truth. The violence of the had one goal in mind, save a life. And we need people to step up at this table and go over and beyond. And we got over 500 years of prison time at this table. That's a lot of wisdom. Uh, for those of you that may not have seen The Interrupters, uh, it is a film that is based in Chicago and kind of the inner city in the Inglewood neighborhood. And, uh, or in the Inglewood area, I don't want to say neighborhood. There are... A, a team of ex-cons picked to go and intercede in conflicts in which it might escalate into um, fatal violence. And so they they go in, they step in between two people who are fighting so that it doesn't get to the point of the two people killing each other. Right. It's, it's an organization called Ceasefire, and they have one goal. And the goal is save lives, stop the violence. Yes. That's it. So, John, where, where, where do we start with The Interrupters? I think this is an unbelievably interesting movie. It is a world that I have never been a part of. And it is a world that is so foreign to me that I, I literally compare this to being like fighting that's going on kind of in the Middle East. Sure. Um, you've got turf wars. You've got, you're not from my neighborhood, so I want to kill you. You've got, you disrespect me, so I want to kill you. Um, you have very, very little empathy for the other going on uh, and their situation and what's happening. To me, it, it's just fascinating. What were your impressions when you first saw the movie? I... I I'm just going to go ahead and say right at the top, I love this movie. I thought I thought it was phenomenal, just profoundly. What what a great way to have a to take a look at something that that you might otherwise not get to see, especially yeah. you know you, pe- people who come from where we come from. I mean, they, like you said, th- this it might as well be another country. Yeah. And, and we should say this this documentary was directed by um, what's the guy's name? Steve James, who also directed the classic Hoop Dreams. So this guy sort of has has a lot of credibility. In this kind of documentary, and so I thought he did. I thought Steve James did a really good job of ha- kind of introducing us to the world, and also my impressions. A lot of my impressions centered around the people. They did a really good job of getting us to attach to emotionally attached to these specifically these three violence interrupters. There were two men, one woman, specifically the woman who. Her, um, her name's Amina Matthews. She is a force of nature. Yeah. Like, I, I could watch a movie just about her. Um, and go ahead. No, I mean, I, she's in, incredible. I, I don't know 
that I've ever seen somebody with just the forcefulness and ability to walk in and control any situation and and people just accept it. She has right. so much. She has so much power. She commands yes. so much respect. In fact, there's one scene where she she gets between two guys and she two enormous guys. And we should say Amina is very very small. I talked about this on around the wicket actually. Yeah. She, she's maybe 110 pounds. Maybe yeah. maybe. And so like she grabs this guy who looks like he could be a linebacker for the Chicago Bears, and she pulls him aside and she and the, the guy she's talking to is about to beat up a girl who is just I mean she she's picking a fight yeah and and she said and Amina says to him she says you you look at her like you look at me, me and he says well she doesn't carry herself like you carry yourself she doesn't respect herself like you do and so you know from that just little interaction these um these men and women who are just naturally drawn to violence they they naturally have a respect for Amina yeah. That they don't have for a lot of people. You know, Amina is not just some Amina's not just some Joe Blow up the street. Oh no. So, no. Like I mean Amina has multiple levels of street cred. Uh she growing up was a was a lieutenant in in the gang that she was involved in. She was the only female lieutenant, but that says something about her is be- that she would be able to rise to that level. Yeah. I mean, that's her personality and who she is, is she takes charge and is, is always there. I don't know. She's, she's always there pushing to be the one in charge and get her voice heard. No matter if she's doing it for bad or good. She's also the daughter of Jeff Fort, who is a legendary Chicago gangster back from the seventies. These people know this. Uh, although she doesn't use his name, she doesn't have to use his name. She does once at a few. Yeah, but she doesn't. I mean, she doesn't have to go around being like, "I'm Jeff Ford's daughter." You know, yeah. she she is a force in and of herself. Yeah, and she's done prison time. Like all yes. three, all three of the violence interrupters that we follow in this movie have done prison time for violence. Right. Well, I mean, I think um, all of the people in Ceasefire have. Yeah, that's probably I mean, true. Yeah, I think that they they say one time uh, they're sitting around and talking, and they say there's over 500 years of prison experience in this room. That was a good line. That was yeah. really interesting. I mean, everybody that does this ceasefire, even though they only kind of highlight these three, uh, they all have enough street cred to go in there. There is no, there's nobody that could go into these neighborhoods and get the respect that they get and get the results that they get if they did not have that kind of credit. Yeah. And there, there are times, and as I'm watching the movie, there are times I think, they, these these guys are going to get hurt. Like, I, I I never really was worried for Amina. For some right. reason, I always felt like she... She, she could handle herself, yeah. which is so funny because the other two guys are, like, bigger men. Yes. And I was – especially there was one guy named Kobe. There there are a couple of scenes where I thought Kobe is about to get just beat down yeah. because he is getting in between some pretty high-tempered in, individuals. And the, the one thing that Kobe is, is able to do really well is um, he pulls them out of their environment. Yeah. If you notice, he takes them back to kind of the, the ceasefire um, center. He does a lot of his mediations away from wherever their natural environment is, which I think is huge because it takes them away from their comfort zone, and they wouldn't they wouldn't do things in an area they're not comfortable with because they can't hide. Like if you know your neighborhood and you do something bad, you know where you can go and hide. You know where you can get away. You know who can 
maneuver or whatever. But if you do something bad outside of your neighborhood that you're unfamiliar with, you can't do that. I think Kobe's very smart to kind of take these people out of their element and do a lot of his mediation that way. Yeah, and Kobe, Kobe ended up mediating with who, who be, the guy who became one of my favorite, other than Amina, maybe my favorite character in the movie, who's <laughs> Flamo. Flamo. Uh, that, that's the only name they give this guy. And the first time we meet him, he is ready to go to war. Like, yeah. Kobe goes over to his house, and Flamo is just all hot and charged because somebody, I guess the police broke in and um, put his brother and his mom in handcuffs and carried them off. Yeah, because somebody snitched on him and yeah. told him that they had guns in the house, and they did have guns in the house. Uh, and so he was ready to go kill whoever snitched on him. He was, and, and when Kobe's talking him down, I thought Flamo's gonna punch your face, and he's just gonna go do what he wants. To. I mean, he he seemed like he was just like an inch away from just losing control entirely. And there was a, a really interesting. I mean, this wasn't this was a scene that I saw, and and I thought was very critical for Kobe. Flamo is is hopping mad, and he called Kobe to kind of cool him down. And Flamo throws his cell phone into the snow. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot about the cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Flamo walks over there because he needs his cell phone, but he won't bend over because he has a pistol sitting in the front of his pants. And he doesn't want to shoot anything <laughs> off. And so he says, you know, hey, Kobe, can you get my cell phone? Because, you know, I got my pistol in my pants and I don't want to, you know. Like, Kobe just goes over there. And it does. It's not. This is like a pivotal point of. I'm here to help you. I'm not here to to judge you. Like I'm not even going to tell you to put your gun down yet. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna help you out. I'm gonna show you the respect you need so that we can get on a level playing field and talk this out. Yeah. And just the simple act of him walking over there, because Flamo is literally a foot from his cell phone. Like he just doesn't want to bend over because he's afraid he'll shoot himself. <laughs> And so Kobe walks all the way over and picks it up off the ground for him and gives it to him to kind of say, look, dude, we're going to talk about this in a respectful manner. I mean, that's not – that's the subcontext of what's happening here. And and it shockingly kind of works a little bit to kind of diffuse him. I mean, it doesn't completely diffuse him, but it gets the ball rolling. Yeah, I think what you bring up is a really good point too is that – the violence interrupters, uh, Amina, Kobe, and and the other guy that we talked about, Eddie, Eddie they, they never ever condescend to no. the people that they're talking. Now, Amina, there, there's one girl named um, Capricia, and and Amina, there are a couple of moments where Amina gets in her face and she she tells she speaks truth to her in a very harsh way. Yeah. But there is never a moment where you feel like the violence interrupters are condescending to the people that they're working with. No. They're, they're, they're always respectful. They're always... I mean, I'm going to use the word loving because that I feel like that's the best description. Yeah. They, they genuinely care about the people that they're trying to help. It is fascinating. It's fascinating to see this line of respect is it runs through this neighborhood and this, this situation of the violence exploding. It's all about respect and disrespect. Yeah. And... These violence interrupters are able to gain the respect and show respect, yet at the same time command it. And and not in like a they – they don't run in there and yell at them and tell them what they're doing is bad and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you're right. Anytime that there is – anytime that there is criticism, it is done in a, a respectful, truthful manner. I mean, I, I think when at one point Kobe has to set Flamo – into perspective because 
Flamo brings this huge, you know, blunt into the car, into Kobe's car, and Kobe's like, dude, you gotta show me some respect. You gotta say, if if the police sees that, they're all going to jail. And yeah. even Kobe has a record. So Kobe would be going to jail. Yeah, it's gonna violate Kobe yeah. just like it's gonna violate Flamo. Absolutely. I mean, he's not immune because he's no. a violence interrupter. Yeah, every single one of them would be going to jail uh, and be charged with drug possession. So that was that was an oddly funny scene to me, where Kobe's like, "Are you are you serious? You've got weed in my car?" Yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then Flamo's like, uh, Flamo's response is, "Yeah, let me just get rid of this. Evidence. <laughs> <laughs> let me get rid of this. Evidence. Yeah, I love. Let me get rid of this. The evidence. idea of saying that with a camera crew in the yeah. car is so. Yes. Let me get rid of this evidence. <laughs> so." I mean, and obviously his way to get rid of it is not just to, to put it down outside. No. <laughs> just give me, but, a, give yeah. me a five or ten minutes. Give me a minute. Half <laughs> of my life, I was in prison. That's why I do what I do now. I think I just stay busy, just try to forget about some of the things that I've done. If I used to be in jails, kicking off rides and just gangbanging. Let's just correct this. Let's just be a family. Always Amina Matthews' father was one of the biggest gang leaders in the history of Chicago. She gets in where a lot of guys can't get in. Schools, churches, your mama's house, your cars, those are safe zones. On first watching this, depending on, you know, who you are, there are so many red flags that pop up. You, you see rampant drug use, you see, you know, kids aren't in school, or you see... You know, all of these red flags that you're like, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. The ceasefire group doesn't care. They care about the people themselves. They're not there to stop every little thing. They're not there to end gangs. No. Or or drug use. No. They are there 100% to defuse attitudes, problems, and and stop killing each other. Mm -hmm. I think they kind of gloss over the gang situation. They don't really dive into... Is this one gang against another? Um, well, but, they did. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes people assume it's gang on gang, but it's sometimes it's not. I was going to say that. Yeah, you're right. Because there are some points where it's it's someone who's not in a gang going to get revenge on on somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And, no, I mean it's it's interesting because there are a lot of levels to this. Like sometimes it's there is an issue at a school where Chicago closed down one school well they turned one school into they they made it a special school for special that had special programs it was no longer a public school yeah it was well i mean i think it was like a magnet right and so if you wanted to go and do that kind of thing um and if you wanted to do that great but if you didn't you had to switch to another public school these kids that are going from one neighborhood that is Literally less than a couple miles away. It's five miles. To, they, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. They, they they switch five miles and go to a different school. And, I mean, it is full-on war between the kids from two different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. That's not... It's not gang-related at all. It is straight up, oh, you're not from my neighborhood? Well, I hate you. That That kind of stuff I find fascinating is that it's not just gang on gang. Sometimes it's you're not a part of my family. Sometimes, you know, it's, oh, I got to go stick up for my cousin. There's so many levels to this. It's not just you're wearing the wrong colors or you stand for something I don't or you're the dif- you're a different religion or a different race or a different anything. It is 
all of these levels exist, and any one could set off a murder. Yeah. And so these the ceasefire has to be able to mediate on so many different areas. Yeah. Well, and, and as a result of that school merger, and they show us there's a video, a, a kid was beaten to death. Yeah. And and a, after that, and I didn't realize this until I heard an interview with the filmmakers on NPR. And they said that until after, and I don't remember if this was in the film or not, but after uh, after that that beating, after the after that kid got killed, that's when they started running buses into the neighborhood. Like before that, they moved all these kids to a school five miles away, but they weren't transporting them, so they had oh, to walk wow. five miles through the neighborhoods where oh, they're yeah, through, yeah. through the neighborhoods where they're they're not familiar, where yeah. they are just just by virtue of being on this block, you're in danger. And yeah, and absolutely, and not even welcome. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that they weren't busing them over there. Yeah, until after the murder. Then they started busing it as a safety precaution. I'll get it. How can you help me? Right now. How can you help me? Please don't give up on me. And I thank God that you have changed your life. But you just don't know what that have did to me and my kids. I deal with this every day of my life. I know it's can't know anybody come in and tell a guy to put his gun down. We've been taught violence. Violence is learned behavior. If they have a strong person that's lived that life, I think they could be saved. Whatever you do, we're going to make it. We'll make it. Do you want to be loved? Absolutely. Do you deserve to be loved? Absolutely. There is this police interaction that, worse than hating somebody else on the block, they hate the police. Yeah. Like, there is no trust for the police. There is no love for the police. The police are also an enemy. Therefore, the police almost see it as a war zone. They don't want to get in the middle of things. They don't want to get involved, and that's kind of crazy. That dynamic, I wish, was explored a little bit more. And maybe it, maybe it's, I don't know, there's a lot of books and stuff written about that. And, I don't know, maybe that's not what they wanted to kind of get into. Yeah. Because it detracts. Well, from their mission. Well, there was one scene where a fight breaks out, and then one of the bystanders says, "The police left." You know, yeah. Like early in the, early in the movie, so I, I guess somebody asks, "Where are the police?" And they're like, "They, they took off. They're right. they're not here." And the only people who were left are the ceasefire people. Yeah. And and then there is this this kind of a little bit of a conflict that they don't get into. They they mention it very shortly is between what ceasefire knows and what ceasefire is willing to tell the police. And how much Ceasefire is willing to work with the police. Yeah. Ceasefire says openly, look, it's not our job to give to to put people on trial and to make cases for anybody. It's not our job. So Ceasefire has to walk this line, this very, very fine line of we gotta be in this community and live in this community and we can't be the snitches of this community. We can't tell you that somebody is running a trap house in the middle of this neighborhood, we can't tell you these people are doing all of these illegal things because as soon as we do that, we lose all credibility and we will never be allowed in this neighborhood again. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably one of the reasons why they're so effective is because it's it's well known in that area that ceasefire doesn't work with the police. They're right. they're they're there as advocates for the people who are in the midst of violence. Yeah, and that discussion actually happens when ceasefire is meeting with a group of people from South Africa. These people from South Africa are kind of trying to see exactly. I mean, I don't know if if the situation has a similar ring within South Africa, but they ask them, they're like, what, what do you do about the police? 
how do you work with them? What do you tell them? And so they had to kind of go through, look, our goal is to is to have less people die. It's not our job to, you know, make cases for the police. So I, I, I found that kind of an interesting line in the sand, a very hard, fine line for them to walk. Yeah, th- that is difficult. And, and yet, I totally agree with that mentality. Because if you want to be effective in this area, because they're not just getting in the middle of <clears throat> heated situations. They're doing long-term work with the yes. uh, with the people that they're interacting with, like Capricia and Flamo. And and that's they're, they're going to get shut out if they think, well, if I say, like, Flamo, if, if he thinks... If, if I tell Kobe I've got weed, what if he what if he just drives me yeah. over to the police station? You know, right? They do a good job of keeping the one thing as the one thing. In fact, in in a lot of organizational or leadership books, if you talk about vision, they always talk about like, okay, what's the one thing? What's the most important thing? And Ceasefire has locked in on that. And the the one thing is we want to save lives. We want we want to keep people from getting murdered. And let, there there are drug counselors and there are police and there are all kinds of other groups of people who are here to deal with with gangs and addiction and drug dealers. That's not us. We're we're here to keep kids from getting shot. Yeah. And that's and that's that's a noble goal because and and I I thought they did a really powerful job of setting up the context by giving us early in the film a montage of funerals for kids. Yeah. Which I mean that's horrifying and it's difficult to watch and in a lot of other movies I would have said that was manipulative, but it was so appropriate for what basically introducing us to the world where we're going to spend the next 2 hours. Right. Because I mean, I would say the majority of people have no idea what is going on in these areas. It's not highlighted. It's not glorified. It's not put on the news enough. No. I mean, it's not put on the news in the places. And when it is, it's like, oh, yeah, somebody else got shot. In it's that almost area. not even nowhere. You know, yeah. yeah, they're like, yeah, well, somebody else got killed because it happens so often. We're sick and tired of our babies yes, being yes, killed. We can't be quiet no more. We still look out for one another. To me, it's like there's still some hope left. I've interacted. I've talked to some people who there is a, and this is this is a despicable, in my opinion, this is a despicable way of looking at this problem. There is almost a social Darwinism mentality yeah. with people who aren't in the inner city, and they look at that and they say, "Let them, you know, let let the let the violent people just destroy themselves. Let's just leave them alone. They'll weed themselves out just by killing themselves and killing each other." And that is that is such a dark, angry, just non-human way of looking at this problem. And and I love that ceasefire is saying you can't you can't do that like yeah. that's that's just you can't treat people that way no. because and and the movie does a good job of highlighting it's not just one gang member killing another gang member it's a kid sitting on his porch listening to the radio yeah and or it's it's some it, and and Amina I, oh man one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Amina gets this like she goes into this group of people i forget the exact context but i guess there's been fighting and and so she she gets this kid and she said who's he with little shorty belong to he just hanging around y'all he just hang this little mo this little he just hanging around y'all right so he see everything that you all do right so if this brother right here catch a case and do a hundred years whose fault is it it's his fault (laughs) teach him righteous i freaking love that that was that was one of my favorite moments of the whole scene of the whole movie yeah, and and I mean, the the whole thing is is hard for somebody 
who's never been there to kind of wrap their head around because, you know, I, I teach a lot of philosophy and ethics and things like that. And we go through, like, stages of morality and things like that. I get that people don't care about certain things if they don't have safety, if they don't have food or clothing or things like that. So, you know, when they get in there, like, I do empathize with these people who are like, kids haven't eaten for a few days, so that's why they're angry. Or they haven't, you know, they got beat up or they were, you know, sexually assaulted by their mother's boyfriend or, you know, they have an alcoholic father that just wails on them or whatever, you know. Like, I get I get that part and I can empathize with that part. The hardest part for me is this mindset that they go through because I don't know that I've ever experienced anything like that is that because you don't respect me, I can now come back and kill you. Yeah. Right? And so it's there is a mindset going on in these neighborhoods. It's being continually bred throughout these neighborhoods of as soon as I am disrespected, I have to earn my respect back, and the only way I can do that might be to just shoot you. It's an in, a very interesting thing to try and wrap your head around because I think what Ceasefire does is incredible. I I do not think I could ever be able to jump into a situation like that and and mediate it being who I am from where I am what I am that kind of thing. Yeah, and you were saying before we even started recording, yeah. you said like there's so much in this movie that I, just, I couldn't like I, my mind just can't even process. Yeah, I mean I, I I don't understand that process. Which I'm glad that I'm glad that these ceasefire people do because they they grew up within this mindset. They were able to break the mindset. And then come back to help, but this just idea that I want to I want to kill you because you called me a punk yeah. or you know you called me a name or even because or, like you bumped into me and didn't say yes, excuse me yes that was it you didn't say excuse me yeah so now I will kill you for it yeah uh, I mean there are plenty of times where I, it just runs through my mind hey this person's rude to me but let it go and that that doesn't happen here because if you let it go. You're the punk. Yeah. You're the one that will never amount to anything, then everybody can use you. I guess that's, you know, part of where that mindset begins. Do you think it's an atmosphere thing? Like, like maybe it's because nobody in our context lashes out like that, and so to do that would be so abnormal yeah and but but in Inglewood or on the south side yes. of Chicago not only is that normal it's almost expected like if yes. you don't lash out then you're weak yes yes I, I mean I do think that there is a culture that's there that says if you don't do this because I think people look around I think if you took somebody out of their element and you bumped into them and didn't say excuse me they might get upset but they're not going to go ahead and, you know, kill you. They're not going to pick up a block of concrete yes, and, and try to it. try to stab you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in that area, when everybody else is, don't let them do that to you. You get back. It's this mob mentality just forms immediately. Yeah. And now you got to go bigger and go harder and, 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 you know, bring it. Yeah. And, and if you don't, then you become, you, you, you paint a target on yourself yes. for everybody who wants to take their aggression out on somebody. Yeah. And um, I, one, one of the things I thought the violence interrupters did really well was add dignity to the act of walking away. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like there, there's a moment where this kid got hit, gets hit in the lip, you know, and he's, been, he's yeah. bleeding. And, you, and he's, he's talking about, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go get him. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to find him and I'm going to take this out. And I want to say it was Amina, but it, it might have been, been Kobe who 
like pulls this kid aside and says, no, no, you'd be a man and you would just walk away. And somehow she convinces him that that's the, that's the yeah. most dignified thing to do. Yeah. That's what makes her a rock star in this movie. Uh, we haven't even talked about uh, Eddie Bocanegra. And, you know, one of the things that he struggles with is he looks at this service as, as a payback because he actually shot a guy and killed him. You know, so a lot of what he's doing is his way to say, I got to make amends for what I did. I have to stop other people from doing this because that has so deeply affected me. And the, the scene where he goes to his victim's family and kind of, I mean, you can t- he's going to spend the rest of his life do- yeah. doing penance for this. Yes. In his own mind. That's something, that's a demon that he'll he'll probably never be able to get away from. I, I, can't, I can't imagine the amount of guilt and yeah. pain that, that he must carry around. Well, and, and the uh, the dignity of the family to be able to interact with him yeah. in a civilized way. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was really powerful when he, was it Kobe? that took the kid that had just gotten out of prison at 17. Oh, man, I was just writing that down. Yeah. You're, you're, right, you're in my head. The, yeah, took him to the barber shop that he robbed at gunpoint, and he apologized to this family that he robbed at gunpoint, and the mom goes off on him. That was, and, that was amazing. This movie is so full of amazing scenes. Yeah. Go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. And, and so... She just she's going off on how scared it made her, how it affected her children, how to be locked in a room with a gun in your face saying that I'm going to kill you is not something that a, that an eight year old just gets over. She did a great job yeah. of articulating the fear involved in that yeah. situation. And, you know, I mean, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I don't know if he thought he was going to go in there and be like, I'm sorry, and they would be like hugging and and everything would be okay, and I'm glad that you're out of prison. Because that wasn't what happened. I mean, she went off on him, but she ultimately did forgive him for coming back and saying, you know, all I can do is say I'm sorry. That was so interesting. And and I realized that all she needed to do was get all that off her chest. Because yes. when he goes in and she just, like you said, she goes off on him. She just completely unloads all the emotion she's been carrying around since that day on this guy. And I think she's not going to, she might get up and smack him in the face. Yeah. And then... Ultimately, she gets up and she hugs the guy. Yeah. So she, I mean, she just she needed to unload those emotions, and now she can forgive. Yeah. At the very beginning, she couldn't even look at him. Yeah. She's hiding her eyes, and she can't even she can't stand the sight of him. But then when she gets up enough courage to go ahead and confront him, it all comes out. And I think I think it was it was incredible. Oh, like, I love that, that scene. scene. Was incredible. And you know what? And then that kid turns around and and at least for what we see really does I mean his life does take a 180 like he becomes a role model he has a job he works he's not doing all of the bad things that he used to do and he's trying to be there for his brothers and sisters who he's kind of the father figure to yeah that I, I thought and and Kobe seems a lot of times like the, the quiet almost mousy I mean if I can yeah. use that compared to Amina oh, you know yeah, yeah. And, and well they have two different styles very completely. very different and and there are times where I feel like Kobe is just like sort of almost a wallflower however as the movie progresses especially especially in the epilogue you see Kobe has a really high rate of success with with like having having people that he's worked with get a job and become contributing parts of society and I mean, he he really invests long term in the lives of the people that he's working with. Like I think Amina has this really abrupt, like forceful. 
you will listen to me, I command the room kind of style. Yeah. Kobe has the, I'm going to keep asking you questions till you figure out exactly what it is that I'm trying to get you to figure out. Almost and like that's, a therapist. Yes. And, and all of a sudden, everybody comes to their own epiphany. And it's because he was he has this long term vision and he guides them down the road in a way that they understand it themselves. It was great. I mean in, in the scene at at the very in the epilogue, I mean if you don't want this if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want it spoiled, then um Stop it right here! But um, in the epilogue, where he goes and picks up Flamo from his, to, like take him to work. <laughs> yeah, that was so. Because I mean, of all the people in this movie, I thought at the end we're going to find out that Flamo went crazy and he shot somebody. And now he's yeah. in jail. Flamo's got a job. Yeah, like, I mean that's that's phenomenal. I was, yeah. so, I mean, just awesome. It's it's the the feel good ending. <laughs> you know, I mean, the killing didn't stop in Chicago. Uh, there's still deaths right now. There's still uh, a bad situation but you you take these characters that you got to know and you said they made a difference in that life and they made a difference in that life and in that life and so they're not going to be able to reach all of them but man there are some people that owe a huge part of their lives to the ceasefire group yeah in fact i was thinking that like people who work in churches need to watch this movie just so you can understand the value of impacting a single life yes and not you you don't have to become a mega you don't you don't have to reach everybody with your megaphone you you just have to you have to connect with just a couple of people who who may actually have their lives changed as a result of your contact with them and this movie does a great job of showing that it's just it's it's so good she was saying that Tomorrow's the first day of school, and I'm so excited. And I was excited for her. She's going with a fresh hairdo. I went today and found out school started three weeks ago. I did go to school. You went to school when you got the ready to. You didn't go up there when it was time for them to go Actually, in. Actually, yes, I did, Miss You don't know that. You, you, you don't know that. Capricia, your counselor yeah. said you got there when you got no. there. I got there... At 8.55 before everybody. Capricia. Right. You didn't fight hard enough for you to no. get up in that school and do what you need I ain't, to do. I ain't got to say nothing. Capricia, don't, don't nobody have to Capricia. kiss your ass for you to do what you need to do for you. And I'm still going to be the same person at the end of the day. At the end of the day doing what? Yeah, my life together takes time. Time for what? You did two years out of your life. Wasn't that enough time for you to get your life together? What you do is you manipulate, you do this and you do that, and then you're so ashamed and afraid that when I ask you to be honest with me, you can't. Do you want to be loved? Absolutely. Do you deserve to be loved? No. Nope. Absolutely. No. Nope. First thing, you got to love you. What would you say are, are the great overall positives of this film? The great overall positives are, I think, the interpersonal relationships that we see formed here between these people on the street that could be set off and the ceasefire people. Yeah. Um, I mean, we really do see long-term interaction and, and care and love for these people. This, Yeah, this, this could have been a very macro, let's look at the whole system, let's look at ceasefire as an organization works, almost like a waiting for Superman for the inner yeah, city. Yeah, yeah. But they don't do that. They they pull us into the lives of three specific ceasefire workers and, and they just let us spend a year with them. And that's so good. Yeah. And it, um, I, I, I like that. I really like that style. So I completely agree with you on that. 
it's also a very, very hopeful film. Yes. You know, it's it's very hope in spite of what it shows us, in spite of the funeral montages, in spite of the violence, it, it ends on a very high note and it does show you like there there is hope. If people will invest in the lives of troubled individuals, then then lives will be saved. The the world actually one person at a time actually could be changed. Yeah. I, I love the optimism of a film that takes place in one of the least optimistic places in the world. That's true. You know, yeah. and it's it's so good. And we should also point out this movie has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's almost wow. unheard of. Yeah. Like, and in fact, um, a lot of people had, a lot of critics had, had picked this as the best documentary of 2011 and were outraged that the Academy Awards didn't even nominate it wow. for, for, for best documentary. So, um, they, and, and yeah. I mean, it touches different people in different areas. I follow Zach Galifianakis on Twitter mm-hmm. and I got the link from his Twitter from he tweeted it. Oh, really? Yeah, and so <laughs> I mean, when I think of inner city Chicago, the first name that comes to my mind is not Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis, right? champion of the inner city. Yeah, but he was moved by this. I mean, he, you know, he's he's a funny guy. He's he's very far from this kind of person, but you know, he watched it, and was moved by it so much, and posted it on Twitter, and that's how I actually got the link to. The film. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, like, it, it touches, it can touch anybody. Yeah, it really can. I, I, have, I have nothing to add to that. You're absolutely right. And the the things that this group of the ceasefire is doing, it, it's heroic. And what we haven't even talked about, they're, they're, they're not out of harm's way. There's a scene where a guy, yeah. uh, T.O. Hardiman, the founder of ceasefire, goes to the hospital to visit one of his workers who was shot in the leg by... Uh, in the by, middle by, of a mediation. Yeah, in the middle of, yeah. of interrupting, a, you know... Uh, yeah, in the middle of a mediation. And so, um, and that's a very emotional, powerful scene. And Tio realizes, like, the stakes here are high, not just for the people that we're helping, but for us. Like, yeah. we actually, we're in every bit as much danger as the police are. Yeah, I mean, and that was the first time that, that that concept in the movie got real to me. Yeah. Is, oh, these interrupters are really in danger. Yeah, they're, I mean, yeah. they, they are they are not protected because of who they are or what they're doing. They're, they're in every bit as much danger as anybody else in those neighborhoods, and they don't care because they're, what they're doing is too important, and that's just it's phenomenal. Do you have any negatives? Uh, the only negatives that I, w- I would love to get more on the interaction with with the police, right? Because, I mean, within America, we do have a system that is set up for protection mm-hmm. and apparently the, the protection that they're getting is very little yeah. so good bad or ugly whatever the whatever the system is i would have liked to know kind of here's where we stand and here is either how they work with us or don't or against us or how <coughs> we trust or distrust like that whole i mean you really have just private citizens trying to stop murders yeah and when you have just private citizens trying to stop murders, you your natural inclination is, where are the actual authorities? Like, where are the people that are being paid to stop these kind of interactions? Where are they? Yeah, there's almost no police presence in yeah. this movie at all. And maybe that's because there's no police presence in these neighborhoods maybe. at all. Yeah. That story is not told, which is probably not the story that they wanted to tell. And I get that. It's one of those lingering questions that I hate um, to be left in my mind that with no answer. Yeah. Right? Like, I just don't have the answer at the end of the movie, and I'm 
I'm forced to just rethink this question over and over. Yeah. Well, and they do, they do sort of let us in on the fact, like the police are aware that this is an issue. Mm -hmm. Like they show us a couple press conferences with the mayor of Chicago and um, a couple town hall meetings where they get like the older uh, people in the neighborhood to come and sort of articulate their frustration. And, um, but, but yeah, they, they don't, they don't really show us that angle of it. And I, I would like to know that kind of thing. I'm not bothered by the fact that it's not in this documentary because I feel like had they added too much of that, it would have become Waiting for Superman. It would have become right. very like bur- like a ten thousand foot view of, of the problem right. rather than the the very close intimate b- version of it. There is no solution to the problem, mm-hmm. and to try and offer one would be a I think a, a terrible. I think it would be a bad thing. Yeah, to say that the problem can be fixed by. Well, it, would be, it would be to minimize and condescend. Yes. yes, it would. So I think maybe adding that in would be like, they would say the problem can be fixed by stronger or by, you know, better police or whatever, which I think may detract from the movie. So my only negative is the story wasn't quite explored, but it doesn't, I mean, that's that's a really weak negative for me. Hmm. What about you? I have no negatives. Okay. I, I have absolutely nothing negative to say about this movie. I, I would I would have spent another hour with this group of people if they'd have let me. So, on that note, let's rate. I, I, I have watched the movie twice. I thought it was really good. I probably won't watch it again. But with that being said, the message that it brought, I, I'm going to give it an 8. That's a good that's, rating. That's a high rating. It's for something high. I'll never watch again. Yeah. Or I probably won't watch again. I will watch it again. I bought it. Oh, wow. Like I, I, I own it on Amazon or on um, on iTunes. I, I'm I'm recommending. It's one of the like I don't often find myself just freewheeling, just recommending documentaries to just whoever will pay attention. I, this was my hype of the week last week on on um, Around yeah. Wicked. I love this movie. Are you ready for my rating? Are, yes. you, are you prepared for this? I am. It's, I am. it's a ten. Wow. I'm giving it a perfect ten. ten. Wow. That, which makes this our as as a whole. That makes this our highest rated documentary. Yeah. Yet. That's a, that's an eighteen total. Yeah. So that is that's uh, incredible. Yeah, I have I have nothing negative to say. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to try and get my wife to watch it. If you're out there listening and you have been listening this whole time and haven't watched it, you've got to. It's, yeah, it's an important documentary. It's it's so good. And honestly, again, Amina steals the show. I I have such respect for for people who would do this and for for her passion. Uh, like I said, she would have made a great preacher. Yeah, um, and if you if you want to watch this movie, you can buy it like Rob, or you can watch it for free on PBS. Yes, and PBS gives you two options, and they <laughs> give you they give you the the full version, and then they give you the broadcast version, the one with a little less cussing, I guess. Even though I didn't watch the broadcast version, yeah, the 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 un the, the non broadcast version it's it's not rated, but if, if it were, it would absolutely be rated R because oh, yeah, the, yeah. the F word is all over this thing. But that I mean, it's it's recording the inner cities. They can't tell right. this group of people we're here to keep you from killing each other because you also watch your language. But I think you know, I I, I definitely think that if you wanted to show it in a classroom, mm-hmm. you could and show the broadcast version. Maybe that's why PBS did yeah. that so that that could be shown because I think this should be shown in classrooms. Yeah. I think you could easily do that. Absolutely. Show it and um, put it out there. So you can watch it for free or you can uh, support the art and uh, and buy it. And also, I'm going to post on my blog um, either today or tomorrow. Uh, there is a, there's an interview that Stephen Colbert did with Amina Matthews oh, really? a couple months ago <laughs> on the Colbert Report. And um, as always, I mean, put, put these two personalities together and it's nothing but great entertainment. So awesome. I'm, I'm going to post a link to that as soon as I can get a hold of it. 
Um, next week on the podcast, we're talking about. You're gonna have to help me with the title because it's a tongue twister. The weird, wild, the weird, wild whites of West Virginia. Yes. If you think your family is crazy, um, <laughs> you got nothing. You have nothing on these people. So uh, get excited. Watch The Weird Wild Whites of West Virginia. You can stream it on Netflix. Um, it comes on Showtime sometimes. Well, you can you can find John. You can read his blog. Don't put me to sleep. Blogspot.com. Or Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at Real Movies uh, on Twitter. Yes. Uh, you, you can find my blog, robcarmack.blogspot.com. You can also uh, listen to another podcast called Around the Wicket, which I'm also on. Uh, we talk about sports and pop culture, and every once in a while, I'll bring in one of the documentaries that yeah. we just talked about. So, um, good stuff all around, John. Well, um, I- anything else that you want to add? But welcome Tyson Farmer, one of our newer listeners. Yes. Enjoy. I, I've, I've been told that Clint Pickens is listening, but um, we'll, we'll see if he, if he contacts me back and says he's, he heard this. If you are listening at this point in the podcast, <laughs> yeah. email John Rhodes right now. Yes. You can email us. Oh. At realmoviespodcast at gmail.com. Or you can like us on Facebook. Yes. There's there's no end to the to the ways that you can access this podcast. If you want us to watch or review a certain documentary, let us know. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. 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 We'll take we'll take suggestions. Yeah. Why not? I would love to take requests. From our so. dozen listeners. Yeah. If anybody if anybody <laughs> would like to, to throw a, a suggestion in. We've we've gotten a couple, so why yeah. not a couple more? Well, John, thanks so much. Man, I've I've loved watching and talking about this documentary with you. I look forward to the next one. All right. See y'all next week. See you next week. So I wanna know. So funny about you